The Word of God for our consideration this evening from Isaiah chapter 62, beginning with verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Boilah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. This is the word of our Lord. In Jesus, the light of the world, dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you a love story. Once upon a time, there was a man and woman who loved each other very much. The man promised to love and cherish this woman all of his days, promised to care for her and protect her. And this man and woman became husband and wife. And when they were married, that man proved his promises to be true day by day. He loved her, cherished her, protected her, cared for her, put her needs above his own. In fact, it seemed like he almost could anticipate her needs at times better than she could herself. She was, he was faithful to her all of her days. He loved her, and she loved him. Uh, but then something changed in the marriage. The husband didn't change. He, he remained faithful and true as he always was, but the wife changed. She began to get bored with him and his love. In fact, she even began to scoff at him and his love. She began to think that her life would be better if he wasn't in her life. And so she left him. And she wandered off and tried to find that love in others, other men. And at first she was excited about what she was doing. She thought she was following the desires of her heart. She thought she didn't need him anymore. Oh, but over time she saw how wrong she really was. For those other men, her new lovers, well, they could not and did not love her as her husband did. And over time, they began to mistreat her and abuse her, and they left her, and she was alone. She felt deserted and desolate. She felt guilt and shame. One day, there was a knock at her door. She peered out the window and she was shocked to see who was there. It was her husband. She didn't want to let him in. She felt guilt. She felt shame. She didn't want to see him to let him see her apartment. It was covered with trash and her guilt and depression. She didn't seem to be able to do too much. She didn't want him to see her unkept appearance, the bags under her eyes for many sleepless nights. She did not want to let him in. 
but the door was open. And over time, he let himself in gently, and he came over to where she was sitting on the couch, and she did not want to lift up her eyes to meet his eyes. She was convinced that he'd be standing over her in anger, that he'd say something to the effect of, this is what happens because you deserted me. But after a moment of silence, finally she forced herself to lift her eyes up and look into his. And she was shocked. For when she looked in his eyes, she saw a tear in his eyes. When she looked at his face, she saw a gentle smile. And he reached out to her and said, My bride, I forgive you. I love you. I want you to come back home with me. And I promise I will continue to be faithful to you all of your days and love you and cherish you. <laughs> it seemed too good to be true at first. She almost couldn't believe it, but she did. She went back to live with him, and day by day he proved again his committed love for her. And day by day that trust grew, and she delighted in him as he delighted in her. So what did you think of the story? Maybe some of you thought, oh, that was sweet. Maybe some of you thought, yeah, it was kind of sad, though. Maybe some of you thought, oh, it was kind of sappy. I don't love, like love stories. <laughs> That's fine. But you should know that story well. Why? Well, because it's your story. And, and it's my story. It's really the love story of what God did for us. Many times in the Bible, God describes his relationship with us like a husband loving his wife or a bridegroom loving his bride. It's found in many places in Scripture, and it's found in our text this evening from Isaiah chapter 62. That's the picture he gives. He committed to love us always, and he proved it day by day. But we sinned. And sin separates us from God, and sin severs our relationship with God. You see it played out in the original audience that these words from Isaiah were given to, the nation of Israel. What had happened? God promised to be their God, promised to be faithful to them forever, to delight in them. He proved that love. Day by day, year by year, generation after generation, when there were slaves in Egypt, he led them out. He gave them a land to live in, and most importantly, he promised that, humanly speaking, through their nation, a Savior would come who would bless the whole world, the Messiah. Then he sent them prophets again and again who proclaimed his love to them, like Isaiah and others. But what happened over time? Well, they became bored with his love. They didn't think they needed him anymore. And they went out and began to look for that love in places that were not God. 
they engaged in idol worship. And they began to look to idols to give the love that only God could. And then when they became all worried about what the future would bring, instead of bringing their requests to God and trusting that he would provide for them, well, they just tried to solve their problems on their own by making political foreign alliances. They thought if they made the right political alliance with the right leader, then their life would be okay and they wouldn't have to worry. So they tried to cut deals with people like Assyria and Egypt. But that didn't go well. What happened? Well, over time, those idols could not give them the love and forgiveness that only God could. They left them feeling deserted and desolate. And those foreign nations that they made alliances with, oh, they helped them for a little bit, but then it wasn't long before they came and they took. They eventually deported them. They left them as exiles and they felt deserted and desolate filled with guilt and shame. Perhaps we know that story too. No, maybe you haven't set up little idols in your house, literally, that you bow down to and pray. But an idol is really anything that gets in the way of God in our heart and mind. Anything we look to, to do what only God can. So perhaps at times, well, we know what it's like to set up that idol of materialism. Yeah, Lord, I'll trust you, I'll follow you, but if only I have a little bit more, more in my bank account, if only I have a little something better to park in my driveway, if only I have a little better driveway at a different house and a different zip code, Lord, I just need a little more. Perhaps we know what that idol of selfishness is like. We hear a world that tells us if we want to be happy, we need to put ourselves first and so we spent all kinds of time bent inward thinking, how can I follow my heart? How can I fulfill my own desires? But that doesn't work. But perhaps at times we've even set up other idols like, oh, judgmentalism. <laughs> Instead of confessing our own sins and digging into our own hearts and pouring it to God, it's a lot easier to see the sins in others and to point them out. Uh, the list could go on and on. And what happens? Those idols disappoint. Those idols leave us feeling deserted and desolate, as verse 4 in our text says. That idol of materialism still leaves us with wanting more. It just doesn't satisfy. That idol of lust or that idol of addiction promises so much, but in the end it leaves us so empty and so guilty. That idol of selfishness still doesn't guarantee happiness. And our husband, God, would have every right to visit us and say, yeah, I told you that would happen. You think you could turn away from me? Well, you made your own bed. You are deserted and desolate. You are getting what you deserve. But we have a husband unlike any other, a God unlike any other. And so he comes to us, but what does he say when our hearts are hanging with shame, well, he says in verse two, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. For the sake of us, his people, he decided he would not let us rot in our sins as he silently sat off to the side. He decided to intervene. So what did he do? 
He chased us down and he courted us with his love. He sent his son just as he promised, born at just the right time and revealed to us as our Savior. What else did he reveal? That, that son, Jesus, our God and our Lord, took all of our sins and the price for all of our idol worship to the cross. There, he paid for it all. And he rose again from the dead so that God says right now, you are forgiven and I am forgiven too. That our relationship has been restored again. We are at one with him. Oh, but it still sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? Aren't there those days and nights where you still say, really, Lord? <sighs> After all I've done, you really want to love me? Well, God knew that. So what does he continue to do? He reaffirms his vows to us. How? Well, one way, through that love letter that he wrote to us, his word, the Bible. Page after page of the Bible, God is pouring out his heart to you and telling you how much he loves you. He's putting in black and white his affection and his love for you so you can go back to that and trust it and believe it even when your own heart is doubting. And then he reaffirms his vows to you. How? Oh, well, in the waters of baptism connected with the word of God, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. He marks you as his own and says that he's committing to you forever. How else does he reaffirm his vows to you? Oh, when he brings you what's most priceless and precious to himself, when he brings you and gives you himself, his own body and blood in bread and wine. In the Lord's Supper, he comes to you personally and says, my son, my daughter, I love you. I forgive you. Day by day, he reaffirms his vows to us. He delights in us, and his vision would be that we would delight in him forever in heaven, yes, but that day by day, even on those days that are filled with problems, we can delight in him too. For he loves us, and he will never leave us. And because of that, this is his promise to you and to me. In verse 4, he says, No longer will they, you and me, call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Boila. Now, when you heard those words that God is calling you Hephzibah and Boila, perhaps your heart didn't swell up with love and happiness because you don't maybe know what those words mean. I don't blame you. If you know Hebrew, Hephzibah means my delight is in her and Boila means married. God says that his delight will be in you. You will be married to him. What else does he say as he takes us back to be his bride? He says in verse 5, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I once had the privilege of serving as best man at my best friend's wedding. I remember the day very well. It was getting close to service time and we were off 
in a side room getting all ready for the ceremony, making sure our bow ties were all straight and our shoes were tied and all this. It was almost time for the wedding. And I looked at my best friend. I looked him right in the face. And do you know how he looked? He looked bad. I'll be honest with you. He looked pretty rough, okay? He looked kind of pale. He looked nervous. It looked like he was sweating. He was kind of fidgety. And I thought, oh, no. I wonder if he's going to get through this. <sighs> well, the bells rang, and we had to go out and stand in front of the church. And I looked at him again. He wasn't looking any better. Still looked pretty pale, fidgety, kind of going back and forth. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I wonder if he's going to get through this. Well, there we are, church filled with people. He's looking pretty nervous. The flower girl comes down, does her thing. The bridesmaids come down, does her thing. His mother-in-law comes down and sits. He didn't look good at that point either. Anyways, he doesn't look very good. This church filled with people many of whom he knows, many of whom he doesn't. But it all changed the way his face looked. At one moment, which I'll never forget, what was that moment? It was that moment when the back doors of church opened and he saw for the first time on that day his bride dressed in her wedding gown. Ho, ho! Then the color came back, and then the smile came, and he looked at her as his delight, and she looked right back at him, and even though that church was full, he was the only one she was looking at, and her face beamed when she saw his delight in him. And it might as well have been that those were the only two people in that church building, the way they were looking at each other, delighting in each other. That's how your God looks at you. He delights in you each day and says, you are my bride. You are the one I love. And today is one more day where I commit myself to you. That's your God. That's your husband. And that's why you can delight in this day and every day to come. Yes, that's your love story. Amen. May the peace and love of our God, which goes beyond all understanding, Guard and keep our hearts and minds through faith in Jesus. Amen.